Please stand as I read God's word. Be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 4 through 12. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has, taken you, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Amen. So our speaker this morning is Reverend Paul Borthwick. Uh, Paul and Christy, his wife Christy, serve on the staff of Development Associates International, a training group dedicated to the character and ministry development of leaders in the under-resourced world. Paul teaches missions at Gordon College and serves as the Urbana Missions Associate with InterVarsity. He has for many years been a missions pastor. Uh, Paul and Christy spend two to four months a year in ministry uh, in other countries. Paul, blessings. Thank you for being here. Good morning, everyone. Gary, what you should have said is that I'm your friend, and I went on a Mission trip when I was 17 years old with Beverly Turgeon. That's Gary's wife, Beverly. So uh, um, I'm from the area. I live in uh, Lexington, grew up in Arlington. It's Arlington, in case you're wondering. Might be from Nebraska, you don't know that. But uh, just hypothetically. And uh, it's very, really interesting to be here today, for, to, partly to just launch this idea of the unreached peoples, and also to walk in, and Greg Detweiler is doing a seminar on all of the diaspora people, all of the distributed people who are coming as immigrants from all over the world. Because uh, a week ago, I was at a church in, uh, in a place, Somerset, New Jersey, speaking to a Chinese evangelical church encouraging them to make, take note of the 300,000 Indian Hindus who are now living in that region of New Jersey. And two weeks ago, I was actually in a city called Guwahati, which I, you know is the capital of Assam. You knew that, right? Um, in in uh, northeast India, right above Bangladesh. And that seminar, all Indians, was actually talking about all the Bangladeshi Muslims who are moving into their city, and have it, how to get the churches to reach out to them. And then they were also talking about how to prepare their own people who would go to the West or other countries as workers as, to prepare them to go as missionaries. 
So we are living in a time where it's really from every nation to every nation and the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. We also live at a time that's unprecedented in terms of the migrations of peoples around the world. Because some of the most unreached people groups, now God has sovereignly moved them into our own communities. One pastor in Toronto, Canada, arguably one of the most international cities in the world, he said, we, God commanded us to go to all nations. We didn't go. So now he's bringing all the nations to us. And if you pay attention, you'll discover this. This morning, just on the way here, I was in uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Can I get a confession? Anybody else been to Dunkin' this morning? Um, yeah, I don't go to four bucks. That's too much. Uh, but uh, I was in Dunkin' Donuts, and the lady waiting on me is from Brazil, and the lady next to her was from Albania. You know, I mean, it's... And, you know, you, you, you discover this. And that takes us back to this idea of being available to go to the unreached peoples. Now, as was well pointed out to us, most of those unreached peoples still live in unreached places. In other words, they live in places that unless someone intentionally leaves their comfort zone and goes, they're not going to hear the gospel. Some will come as immigrants and some as as workers might be sent back there to be the missionaries to their own people. But by and large, somewhere in the neighborhood of two billion souls still have not had an opportunity to, ha- to hear an intelligent presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here this morning, to think about that, to launch us into the week. If you have your Bibles open to the passage that was read for us, it's obviously the second volume of the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke writes Luke and Acts, and this sort of picks up where Luke left off. Because in Luke chapter 24 verses uh, 48 and 49, uh, Luke is talking about wait or stay in the city until you, and stay in Jerusalem and the gospel will be preached beginning in Jerusalem to all the nations. And then he says, wait there for the power from on high. And he picks up the same theme in this passage. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 8. But if we start off in the context. And God speaks to us whatever context we are in. If you go to Acts chapter 1, here's the context. The people have been traumatized. They were following this Messiah Jesus, and they've just seen him crucified to a cross. Now they're even more traumatized. He rises up on the third day. So they're not people who are just waiting for the, you know, give us a challenge, God. These are people that are living in a sort of a state of confusion. And in this state of confusion, they have this dialogue with Jesus. It's a context of confusion, a context of fear, and a context of failure. Because seeing the resurrected Jesus would have reminded these disciples that they had abandoned him when he was on the cross and even denied him in the process of the crucifixion. The reason I say that is because you don't have to be a person waiting for the next big challenge to hear God's call to unreached peoples. You might be a person who doesn't know what God's doing with your life right now. Maybe you're finishing up with university, you don't know what to do next. Maybe you're in midlife and you're saying, my job's not working out for me. Maybe something's happening in your own community and you don't know what God's doing. And in that context, we have this 
discussion. So he's eating with them, verse 4, and he repeats basically the same message of Luke 24. Wait for the gift the Father has promised and, and wait there and you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, verse 5. This is referring to what's later referred to in the word power. But the disciples had a political agenda. You may recall this. They were hoping Jesus was going to be the triumphant overthrower of the Roman Empire. So they're kind of saying in verse 6, you know, Jesus, we don't know what the crucifixion thing was about, but now are you going to take over the Roman Empire? In other words, they had aspirations in following Jesus that were not actually sound. Just like some of us. Sometimes we look at our lives and we say to ourselves, I wonder why God hasn't come through with this prayer request or that. I wonder why we're not wealthier or smarter or more successful than we thought we would be by this age. I wonder why life is not easier. We wonder these things. And they're wondering, you know, Jesus, are you going to do what we always hoped you would do? And then he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. If you go to the Christian bookstore or Christian books online, you will discover a lot of books, not about missions, but about the end of the world. We somehow get preoccupied. And I'm old enough now to know at least a half a dozen dead people who were once called the Antichrist. They were going to bring the world to an end. And they didn't. But they get, we get preoccupied with the end of the, wor- end of the world. And maybe as I get older, I get more preoccupied because the end of the world's coming for me, <laughs> whether I like it or not. But, uh, but basically, they're preoccupied with this. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. People ask me when I travel, do you think we're living in the end times? Absolutely I do. We are living in the end times and we are 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus than we have ever been. (laughs) But we don't know. We don't know the end times. We don't know what these things are going to happen. And uh, I've oftentimes thought, I've written some mission books. Can I just tell you, mission books don't sell very well. Um... I've determined by careful market research that if I want to sell more books, they should be on the end times, spiritual warfare, and weight loss. (laughs) Preferably all combined together. (laughs) You know, how the end times and spiritual warfare can help you lose weight and make money in 30 days. (laughs) Because after Purpose Driven Life, we can't stand 40 days anymore. We've got to get it down to 30 They're preoccupied, but Jesus says, don't worry about it. Let God handle it. Let God handle it. But you will receive power. Now we're back to the same words of Luke 24. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he basically, these are the last words that Luke records from Jesus, and he's taken up into heaven. He ascends into heaven. Verse 10 is uh, kind of interesting, though. They were looking intently up into the sky and as he was going, when suddenly two men, obviously angels, dressed in white, stood before them. I love what they say, and if you're, if you're like me and you maybe were raised on the King James Bible, it even sounds better. It says, Why stand ye gazing into heaven? In other words, what are you doing? You know, and sometimes I think that's the way we, we read the newspaper and we just sort of stand and say, Oh, Jesus, come back. And we're just gazing into heaven, waiting. 
And the angels are basically saying, get off your duffers and go for it. Stop standing around. Why do you stand here looking into the sky, the translation says. Jesus, who was taken into heaven, is going to come back the same way you see him go. Now you have a work. And what's the work? Every Christian is called to be filled with the Holy Spirit of power, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, concentric circles, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And it's an interesting mandate for all of us. It says, wait, wait. I would like to interpret that more as listen. Listen to what God might be saying. Take a look around. Learn about the world into which you are sent. And wait for God to direct you in terms of how to go. But then be empowered. Be empowered. And the Holy Spirit power is not just for healings and miracles and the things that TV people want us to believe. Holy Spirit power is the power to speak up about our faith. Holy Spirit power is the power to be witnesses. And the power, as you may already know, is the word dunamis in Greek. Dynamite power. Resurrection power. When the disciples would hear the word power, they're thinking about the power that rolled away the stone, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that shook the earth when Jesus said it is finished. That's the power that's available to us. And yet many of us are just simply too afraid to be witnesses. Too afraid. In my own home church, Grace Chapel, a couple of years ago I was speaking on a Sunday school class and I was talking about the stop and shop which is down the street. And I said, you know, God might call you to go to the unreached peoples of Cambodia, the Buddhist people of Cambodia. But maybe God's going to call you just to reach out to the Buddhist ladies who are working this, the clerk, as the clerks at the supermarket down the street. During the Q&A time, this lady raises her hand. She goes, you mentioned the Buddhist ladies working at the stop and shop. How did you know they were Buddhists from Cambodia? And I think she thought maybe because I travel a lot, I must have just, you know, oh yeah, Buddhist, Cambodia, you know. Or they had some sort of religious symbol on them. And I said, what do you mean? How did I know? Well, you said they were Buddhist and you said they were from Cambodia. How did you know this? And I gave her this revolutionary ask, answer. Are you ready? I asked them. It's amazing how many people say, you know, oh, well, there's Muslim people in our community. But you don't know them yet. Why stand ye gazing into heaven? They're right here. Don't ask God to take them away. Ask God to make you a witness. That's what the power is for. I was with a church in the Midwest uh, at a missions week like this, and, uh, and uh, the mission committee took me out to lunch afterwards, and we went to a place sort of like Panera. And while we're sitting there, uh, there's a lady behind the counter with the full headpiece on, obviously Muslim, and she's washing the dishes. And uh, the missions committee says to me, see that girl over there? I said, yeah, she's a Muslim. And I said, yeah, I think, I think she knows. You know, I mean, it's like not some secret. And this mission committee, now this is the mission committee, goes to this Panera every Sunday after church. It's their community small group, is their mission committee. I said, what's her name? I don't know. Where is she from? Is she a Shiite, a Sufi, a Sunni? What kind of Muslim? You know, why, why is she here? Does she go to the prayer center? Is there a mosque nearby? Don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. Why? They had never spoken to her. If they're in our midst, open your mouth. 
You might say, well, I don't know what to say. How about hi? Or hello? Or how about those cubs? I don't know. Whatever, whatever you want to say, just start the conversation. Start the conversation. Be empowered to look outward. Be empowered to look outward. Outside of our comfort zones. Outside of our comfort zones. In Lexington, where I live, at one of the Gulf stations, one of the guys that owned the Gulf station was from the same people group in northern Pakistan that makes up the Taliban. Now, I'm probably not going to get to witness to the Taliban, at least not for long. <laughs> and, uh, and, but this guy, he's right in my neighborhood. Start up a conversation with him. He starts asking me questions because his daughter's going to a Catholic school and he wants to know what Christians believe. You see, God sends us, but God goes ahead of us. God is going before us. And when we were reading all the different scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, beautiful. And in John chapter 20, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself as being sent into the world more than 40 times. For this reason I was sent. The Father did not send the Son you know, to do this or that. I was not sent to condemn the world. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son. But then on resurrection night, Easter night, He says to His disciples, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Translation. You don't need to ask. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to ask if you are sent. You only need to ask where you are sent. How many of you live in, let's just say hypothetically, in the, uh, in the greater Boston, you know, where we are, Western area? How many live within, say, 10 miles of here? Okay? How many of you live within 10 miles? Keep your hands up. All right. Thank you. Almost everybody. How many of you are sent to Western and the greater surrounding area? Okay? More than half of you don't know where you are. Because if you raise your hand both times, you understand it. God may send you to Libya. But for now, this is where you're sent. This week, I was trained in university with uh, uh, Campus Crusade, or crew as it's known now, and they would teach us to look for divine appointments, to be 24-7 available. Start the conversation. Now you say, I, you know, did I lead the lady from Cambodia to Christ on the way at the checkout line? Of course not. But I made a friendship, I got a name, and now it's somebody I can pray for. You see, we're sent. And where does Jesus want to send us? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem. That's our own community, our own culture, the place where we live, our neighborhood, if you would, or maybe a wider surrounding than that, our workplace and the people that we're with most often but they're similar to us. Judea would be the same, only a wider region. So New England might be our Judea. Samaria would have shocked these disciples. It would have shocked them. Because Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Go reach your own people. Okay. Go reach your own people dispersed or a little bit wider circle. Okay. Go reach your historical enemies, the half-bloods, the people you have always been taught to disrespect. No, not okay. At least that's what they would have thought. 
But Jesus said, I want you to cross over. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I want you to open your mouth. I want you to go to Samaria. Geographically close, but culturally distant. Geographically close, but culturally distant. Go down to Alston. You can reach a whole community of people from Burma. Go over to Malden or Melrose. There's 14,000 Muslims from Morocco. These are people you're not going to reach just by natural contact. Generally, you have to go and make an intentional step. But do the research of the communities around us and you find out things are changing. Things are changing right in our face. Samaria would be immigrants. It could be international students. It could be anybody from another world religion. They're in our midst, however. And then ends of the earth, that's obvious. Ends of the earth, beyond ourselves across cultures, across countries, across religious environments, across the world, across geographic boundaries, across economic obstacles to the ends of the earth. You see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, outreach ripples out from our own culture to touch the whole world. That's God's design. And yet there are still these billions of people who have not heard. And a minuscule amount of money and people given to that task Why? Because just like the book of Acts, we like where we are. Read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus' plan is clear. Power to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Read the book of Acts, and for the first seven chapters, they stay in Jerusalem. They stay in Jerusalem. They like it when the church is growing. They like it when they're in their happy place. They like to stay in Jerusalem. But then read Acts 8, verse 1. And it tells us a persecution came and dispersed the church to Judea and Samaria. By Acts chapter 10, Peter's having a dream that's so unsettling to him, God has to give it to him three times. Why? So that he'll go to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is bounced around like by the Holy Spirit translating him between place after place after place. He ends up introducing the first African to Christian faith by talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. But in every one of those situations, whether it's Philip's dispersion or Peter's uncomfortable uh, conversation with Cornelius, they didn't go by their own volition, their own will. God had to sort of push them out. God had to push them out. If you find yourself in a company where everything's changed and the personnel you're working with and for, don't be complaining about it. Ask God, what's going on? Why is it happening? You know, the university campuses, the students around us, the people, who is going to reach them starting right where we are? So let me give some practical suggestions about how you start reaching out beyond Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, I know Steve and uh, Natasha Hope will love me when I say this, but let's start with international students. Can I get an amen? Thank thank you, yes. My, uh, My wife and I are both from the local area. She's from Cambridge, I from Arlington. And when her brother, a few years ago, passed away suddenly of a heart attack, he was 47, single guy, never married, he had gone to Harvard University. He graduated in the class of 1973. Now, for those of you who are too young to think about this, let me explain. We got his yearbook after he died, and we were looking through it. 
And his last name began with C, but page before were the B's. And there's a picture of this young Palestinian, uh, sorry, young Pakistani woman by the name of Benazir Bhutto. Those of you who know your history know that she became the prime minister of Pakistan, the third largest Muslim country on earth. And a few years ago, she would actually be assassinated. But I, I found myself asking, did anybody reach out to her when she was here? Did anybody invite her for a meal? Did anybody? Those people are here. A few years ago, I told my friends uh, David and Jackie that I was praying pretty regularly for the country of Bhutan. So they had me over. They were dorm parents at Wellesley College for a period of time. And uh, they had me over, me and my wife Christy, over for dinner. And they said, before we go to our house for dinner, we want to go to the cafeteria. We want to introduce you to somebody. So they introduced me to a young woman by the name of Chimmy Wongchuk. Chimmy Wongchuk, they said, you you might want to meet her. She's our only student from Bhutan. She's very shy. I talked with her a little bit, what little I knew about Bhutan. We went back to dinner at David and Jackie's house. And they said, uh, Chimmy Wongchuk is the princess of Bhutan. Her father is the king. And she's the favorite daughter of the favorite wife. The king of Bhutan had four wives at that point, all of which were sisters, which has got to be weird. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, only one set of pa- in-laws, though. That's good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, right in our midst, how far is Wellesley College from here? I mean, I don't think very far. But we need to go looking for these people. And Steve and Natasha and their team can help you find them. God is bringing them to us. You want to reach the unreached people groups of the world? Take a course, read a book, study something about the world religions so that when you meet the guy from Pakistan at the gas station, you know something to say. Like you wish him a happy holiday. They just went through the uh, festival of Eid, which is the celebration of uh, where Abraham did not kill his son. And there's a whole big thing on that. Right now, there's a Hindu holiday going on. I found out last week because they were celebrating right next to my hotel until 3 o'clock in the morning. And I first was praying for them, then I was praying against them, then I started praying for them again. But, you know, on the way home, I was sitting with this guy on the airplane who's, from, who's Indian, and I said, happy uh, something or other. And he said, oh, how did you know? My wife works with a fellow from India at her lab uh, in Boston, and she wished him a happy, whatever, Navrat, Navrat, Navratri. Anyhow, it precedes Diwali, as you knew. Um, but learn about it. I spoke to a group of people at a seminar on a Saturday morning. So these are motivated people. Well, I mean, they're, they're this, on a Saturday morning coming to a seminar on missions, right? And no weight loss program. And, um, and I asked them, I said, it was, let's say there's 100 people. I said, how many of you have an opinion about Islam? 100% raised their hands. I have an opinion about Islam. I said, how many of you have ever read a book or taken a course on understanding Islam? Seven. of them had an opinion about a religion they had never even read about other than maybe in the news or on CNN or Fox. Then I said, how many of you actually have a relationship with a Muslim, a friend who's a Muslim? Three. Do you understand what I'm saying? No wonder they're going to be unreached. 
if Christians aren't even w- w- willing to stop gazing into heaven and start reading about it. Start the conversation. Read a book. Take a course. Have a Sunday school class at the church about world religions. That's another way to reach the un- unreached. For those of you who are business people, look for opportunities in your companies for overseas assignments. Tent-making opportunities where you get placed overseas you can maybe reach people that no missionary, traditional missionary could reach because of the sphere of society that you'll work in. One of our friends from uh, Grace Chapel years ago took a job with his design company and he ended up being employed by the sheikh of, or the head man of uh, Kuwait designing their World Trade Center. And as a result, had the chance to share Christ with people at highest levels of Kuwaiti society and Kuwaiti government. If you're traveling overseas and you go with your companies, spend the weekend. Go looking for some churches that you could go and encourage along your travels. Or as a church, think about, maybe you already do, ESL classes. English as second language classes. It's a tremendous way. All that's to say, Jesus came to give us power to change the way we look at people to change the way we look at people. So that like Peter in Acts chapter 10, we'll be able to say, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but honors any person who calls on His name. Take the opportunity to cross the cultural bridges, to reach out to the local people, to get to know your neighbors, to take a walk. Missions might be across the ocean or it might just be across the street. It might be across the cubicle. But go looking for ways to start a friendship. This uh, December, and I'm saying this uh, with a blatant advertisement to university-age students, this coming December is uh, one of the, every three years there's a conference in uh, St. Louis now called Urbana, sponsored by, campus, uh, sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And uh, a few years ago, one of the speakers there was a man who had spent basically his whole life in Pakistan. And uh, he got up to give his talk, and he says, I want to give you today the three keys to evangelizing a Muslim. And everybody's got their notepads out thinking he's going to tell these 17,000 students how to reach out to Muslims. And he starts his point by saying, the very first thing you need to know is friendship. Everybody writes it down, you know, friendship. You know? And he says, um, he, then he would tell some stories of friendship. And, and more stories of friendship in Pakistan and his studies overseas, other places. Then he said the second key to winning your Muslim friend is friendship. And he says some, some more stories of friendship. And then the third key, he says, is friendship. You see, the issue is not whether you have a PhD in Islamics, which actually he does. The issue is, are you willing just to reach out? Befriend people. I mean, you're smart enough to know not to have them over for bacon, all right? I mean, just, you know, you can learn that in Wikipedia. (laughs) But make the effort, because most of the world's unreached peoples are not going to be reached by most of us. Now, I hope that 10% of you will hear God's call and go to some place where the gospel has not been ever preached, a la Romans 15, 20. But for most of us, it's going to start right where we are. And we didn't go but God brought them here. So the question ultimately is, are we willing to be the people 
who obey Acts 1, verse 8. No more gazing, just going. One of the things that's important to realize is, and I think it was highlighted in some of the earlier comments, God commands us to go. You know, in the Matthew Gospel, the commission, as you are going. In this one, you will be my witnesses and go Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. Mark's Gospel, as you are going. And this week, as you are going, will you open your eyes and see the people that God's put in front of you through the power of the Holy Spirit, reaching out across cultures, across religions, being intentional to start the conversation, to start the friendship. Let's pray. I don't know if this is possible in your world, but I'm just going to invite you before I lead us in prayer, just quietly, maybe with your eyes closed, just think about one person that you know of who's come here from a different country, maybe from a different religion, a neighbor, a co-worker, an international student. And just ask God that he would give you the power of the Spirit to be a witness to that person. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that because you were sent, we were called, we were forgiven, we were redeemed. And we thank you for the awesome privilege that now you send us. We invite you to fill us with the power of your Spirit to see the world around us and the world beyond us in ways that we've never seen before. We pray it in your name. Amen.